Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and welcome to another Thursday evening of political talk. And I'm not sure if I should say political talk because we're going to divert a little bit this evening and to a discussion, more of a subject matter discussion as opposed to straight politics. And this is a political discussion in the sense that it has actually vexed politicians, uh, particularly here in New York, New York City, New York State, elsewhere. Uh, and that is the issue of Mitsitsa Bape, oral suction after circumcision. And the outside world doesn't exactly understand it, but most of our listenership understands the idea of the requirements of circumcision and why it's a Jewish practice from time immemorial, the imperative to do it. But they don't necessarily understand the different rights that Muslim do, whether they use a direct oral suction on the wound or they go ahead and they use uh, an instrument, a pipette or the like, in order to do that. And there, that is the controversy. That is the beginning of the controversy that we're going to discuss this evening. And we have a great show, what I consider to be a great show, planned uh, a very prominent mole who is uh, Cantor Phil Sherman, who is the mole to the stars uh, in New York. Uh, Scott Stringer, our city controller, uh, he is the mole to, to Scott Stringer's children. And as well as uh, a couple journalists who have written about the subject quite extensively, Dan Goldberg from Capital New York, Stephen Weiss, now of the Jewish Channel, formerly of the Forward. And we're going to wrap up with uh, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt who is not just an infectious disease uh, doctor at Mercy Medical Center in Rockville Center, New York. Yeah, that's right. Orthodox rabbi who is a doctor at a Catholic hospital and part of the hospital leadership there. So we're going to have a, a great discussion, what I hope to be a great discussion, of the subject. Probably won't come to any conclusions, but it's particularly apropos because this morning the New York Times – broke a story. I don't know if it was broken because a lot of people expected it. Mayor de Blasio and rabbis near accord on new circumcision rule. And out in the open now, there have been discussions going on for quite some time about it. So not to preview the show too much before we actually get into it. I uh, want to say first and foremost, we are sponsored by Beckerman PR, BeckermanPR.com. Building market leadership and reputation through strategic communications. Tell your story with Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com. Don't want to delay this at all. Want to get right into it. Cantor Phil Sherman, a uh, man who is amongst the top mullim in America, according to uh, the JTA. And as well, I, he has uh, done a, a, what I consider pretty astounding, 11 brisson in a single day. Uh, Cantor, welcome, as well as the Cantor, associate Cantor of Spanish Portuguese Synagogue, Congregation Sheriff Israel, the oldest synagogue congregation in the United States of America. Welcome to Spin Class. Thank you for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. So, uh, Cantor Sherman, let's just uh, dive right into the issue, and you can kind of frame it as a mole, a mole who doesn't practice Matitsa and why is there this controversy? I don't want to get too much into the religious halachic issues because those go back – actually, they don't go back to this last 10 years. They go back uh, a couple hundred years. Uh, but I want to really get into the idea from a public policy perspective why we have this controversy and why it continues to vex uh, public health officials as well as politicians who can't – don't seem to be able to deal with it adequately by some – they seem to deal with too much by others. The big picture question is, where do you draw the line? It's an issue of religious belief versus civil and secular law. I do want to redefine a little bit. Metzitza beped literally means metzitza, drawing, sucking, squeezing, however you should say it, with the mouth. Okay. I think what really needs to be clarified is there's metzitza beped with direct oral contact and metzitza beped with a sterile tube, which also uses the mouth, which is also mitzitza bepeh. Okay, um, that's a very good distinction, or non-distinction there, I guess. Because you can perform mitzitza bepeh without du- directly contacting the child, which protects the moel and the baby. It goes both ways. A moel perhaps could have something to transmit to the baby, and vice versa. The baby could have something to transmit to the moel. Now... Metzitza um, bepe with direct oral contact is confined to a very small group 
of Moels within the ultra-religious community. Really important for the public to know, the vast majority of Orthodox traditional Moels do not do Metzitza Bepeh with direct oral contact. Because, I mean, the public needs to know this because I will get calls all the time, uh, regularly. First question is, do you do this? And the first thing is, no, I don't. Um, and the second thing is, um, they, I will get a call from someone who will tell me that they had a Moel lined up, but they found out that he did Mitzitza Bepeh with direct oral contact, and now they found out that I don't or other people don't. But it's a very, and it's, a, it's unfortunate because this is having a tremendously detrimental effect on Brit Milah, the mitzvah of Brit Milah, because you have people on the fringe who are not affiliated, who are not going to go anywhere near a moil because they all, all they hear is moil, metzitz pepe, um, herpes, sick, sick baby, or dead baby, God forbid, and that's all they know, and they don't want anything to do with it. So, so I, I guess what you're saying is that because of this controversy, there are people out there who now think that the entire uh, the entire act of of, of brit milah is now dangerous and controversial, and they don't want to have part of it. Do we actually? Is there actual? Are there any statistics with with regard to that? I mean, do we have statistics as far as no? It's Jewish, not that you because we know we don't know who's not calling. Right, of course not. Okay. But, right. But, so, uh, but but you don't see this huge movement out there amongst Jews. You see Jews in doing a lot of other movements uh, on different issues. Um, you know, you, you saw a little bit in San Francisco, but there doesn't seem to be this movement to not circumcise boys on their eighth day. Uh, okay, there's a tremendous anti-circumcision movement out there. Okay, and it's a you know again it affects many of you know those who are not affiliated. Uh, and not aware of these differences. Again, they just hear these stories and get scared away and are not doing, they're just having their baby circumcised in the hospital and then later, later on they'll maybe, you know, have some kind of ceremony, but this child will not have had a bris and this is all because of this adverse publicity. Bear in mind, I not only sterilize my instruments with an autoclave, I wear gloves, I maintain the highest levels of aseptic technique most, if not all, traditional moils who don't do metzitzvapé with direct oral contact follow the, a lot of these guidelines. They don't do that because you go to the dentist, you go to the doctor, he wears gloves, he wears a mask. This is what one does, and this is how this has to be done. Okay. I, I agree. I agree with you. I think that the, you know there, there's no question as far as the sterilization. I really have two questions, I guess, from what you've what you've said before. Mm-hmm. Number one is I feel very strongly about protecting the religious freedom of even people I don't necessarily practice in the same way, uh, whether they be Jewish or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it is a small minority, let's just say, you know, of, of mostly Hasidic Jews who are doing, who are performing, who feel that this is an imperative. Uh, you know, I don't, don't we also feel strongly about protecting their, uh, their rights to do the, do the, act of brismila according to their custom? Okay, so here's the answer to that question. For the ultra-religious families, they want a moil who does metzitzvapet with direct oral contact. There, because you know the New York Board of Health talking about having a consent, yes? So there the Correct. consent is meaningless because that's what they want and they're doing what their rabbi tells them to do. The consent is good for the non-religious, non-observant families who might end up using an ultra-religious moil, not knowing that this ultra-religious moil does mitzitzvapet with direct oral contact, okay? And they need to know that before they hire him, okay? So now, again, as I said at the very beginning, you, where do you draw the line where you're, you know, protecting a person's religious beliefs versus the community health standards, let's say, Okay. And by the way, just in that New York Times article, it was buried way in the back of that article where they said that the most moils don't do this at all. That needs to be in the first paragraph. But, but really, that becomes the question, you know. Um, and it's, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a major social question. And we have, it, we have it in other areas, too. I'm not an expert in these other areas. But, and I know you said you didn't want to get into, into Jewish law, but there are two principles which are worth noting. One is what's called sakanat nefashot, which is endangering a life. 
we know since Louis Pasteur discovered germs, germs can cause illness, how they're transmitted, so on and so forth. You can sneeze, you can cough, you can shake somebody's hand and, and give them a cold, let alone putting a mouth on an open wound, okay? There is no connection in, in many of the ultra-religious communities that these germs exist and or can cause problems. So there needs to be a connection made there that this is understood by the rabbis of these communities who can then begin to see, perhaps, yes, we can perform metzitza bepet, yes, without direct oral contact, yet without direct oral contact, fulfilling what's fulfilled and protecting and not endangering someone's life by getting them ill, God forbid, or we've had cases of, um, you know, children dying. And these, okay, by the so, way, these things go back to the 1800s. We have records of, um, you know, descriptions of children who have had things happen afterwards, now we recognize those symptoms as being herpes or whatever they were. Okay? And so, again, so let, was, let, let, me, let me interrupt for a second, sure. because I, I think you're, this point in particular is, is really important, because it seems to be a matter of dispute, uh, depending on which side you're on mm -hmm. of the issue, as to whether there is a conclusive link between, and now clearly I think everybody would agree, germs can be spread more easily through direct contact, but whether, mm -hmm. is there a conclusive link out there? Because it seems now that it's been reports from Rockland County that they have, this, they had, did not ha prove a DNA link between, uh, between a, an infected child and the mole. Uh, is there a conclusive link or just a circumstantial link? Let me between... tell you, let me, so, okay, so let me be very clear. I'm a cantor, I'm not a rabbi. I encourage you to speak to rabbinic authorities. It's not, you don't need the link. You need a suspicion that something is a problem. If you have this suspicion, then you have a prohibition that can be enacted. Okay, right? fair enough. Fair enough. I suspect I, that I, this is I, causing a problem. If you suspect, for example, Jewish law, you circumcise one baby and he dies because he bled to death. You circumcise another baby, he bled to death. You know, it's a cousin, either a first cousin or a brother. You are now prohibited from circumcising anybody in that family ever again because of that. Okay? Correct. So now, in this particular case, you have this, you know, there's a potential here. We, we know that there could be a problem. This suspicion must, that we must cause, should cause a careful examination of the Jewish law and everything involved to determine, is there a connection? Can we show that, a, that, that herpes can be passed from one person to another? Via, I think we can show that. Now, the problem, again, within the, ortho, within the, the ultra-religious community is the families want these moils to do this, and then if something happens... Number one, they're not going to tell who the moil was, and the moil is certainly not going to, and they're just going to keep it within the community, right? Right. That's that's another thing. Now the second. Well, well, but let's let's pick up on that for a second, and I want to also be mindful of your time here. That's the fine. the approach, I think, of this of the city of New York City specifically in this has been criticized, not not just by criticized by advocates, uh, but also in it actually been criticized by an appeals court. Um, and I, I had asked one of the activists to come on. He was going to come on mm -hmm. uh, to the show, but he had a family emergency. But I just want to read um, a statement he made both to uh, Hamodia as well as to me, Yerachmiel Simmons, who's an attorney, um, said the city's tunnel visioned approach overlooked other possible sources of transmission, a fact we all implored them, to, uh, them about all this time, allowing these other transmitters to continue unabated. If the city were truly interested in public health, they would have abandoned their benighted approach long ago. It's high time they admit the mistake, take off their blinders, and embrace a more objective and scientific methodology. No problem. And, I'll, I'll answer by very simply – this is a very easy answer. Okay? Sure. Um, the answer is very simple. Test the moil. If he tests positive for herpes, then he passed it along. If he doesn't. Right. Now, weren't they, now haven't they done that in Rockland? I don't know. I don't believe they did. I don't know what I don't know what they did in Rockland. I can't say for sure. But but you can apply scientific standards to this as long as the people are willing to submit to them and willing to go along with them. You see, there's right, no but problem. Right. If they feel threatened that you're after the the entire act of circumcision, as you mentioned, there are circum anti-circumcision well, movements well, out no, there. No, that, that's a different issue. But within the Jewish community, the the okay, mitzitza in general is a custom. It's not a Jewish law. Within the ultra-religious community, it has been elevated to a law that is so prominent, so severe, it, Moses gave it on Mount Sinai. Okay? 
because it's been elevated to that position, there are those in the, that I've heard myself say that if you don't do Matsitsa Pepeva with direct oral contact, the Brit Mila is not kosher. Okay, I mean, if that's how they're interpreting it, I'm, I'm not one to, but I, I don't know how they make that leap. I don't understand that. Okay, but I think you can, um, you can come up with, you know, if there is in fact quality between one and the other, yeah, it's quite possible the baby could have gotten, you know, uh, herpes from a nurse, from a caregiver, from the parent, from anybody. Yes? Correct. It's quite possible. But it's also possible it came from the mohel. And in order to make sure that that's not the case, the mohel has to be tested. And therefore, you can have a sign. You can, yes, yeah, so I would respond to them. I say, okay, fine. So all the, you know, let's, first of all, publish a list of moils who do not do Matitsa Bepe with direct oral contact. And then, you know, there are other moils out there that uh, if they want to do Matitsa Bepe with direct oral contact, just like you have to go, you know, if you're dealing with newborns all the time, you need your, you know, you need a flu shot, you need to be vaccinated, you gotta, you gotta follow certain standards as a professional moil involved in the community. Right. Within their own community, Again, it's a very difficult thing because, number one, you know, uh, who are we, as you said before, to go in and say, dictate what they should be doing or not be doing. But as soon as they go outside, and now it affects other individuals, a, a non-religious family who had to get a moil because it was Shabbat or a holiday, and the only choice was a particularly ultra-religious moil who does Matitsa Bepe with direct oral contact, but they didn't know that, and now their child gets sick, there's a problem there. Okay. I, I understand. And I I understand exactly what you're saying. I think the point here is more disclosure, more information, more for the public, sure. as, op- as opposed to taking a more of an enforcement uh, posture. And, you know, kind of similar to the way New York State handled the transition in their kosher laws when they were struck down as unconstitutional, New York State then decided, okay, we're going to go for disclosure entirely right. um, as opposed to sending inspectors in to determine what is or isn't kosher uh, and I, I actually think that what you're you know what you're suggesting is is you know could go a long way uh, it seems at least according to the posture of the community and having you know this has been around pretty much about 10 years this controversy having to do with you know in the political realm uh, you know New York City didn't have that approach or at least that wasn't the perception of the approach on the part of the Haredi Hasidic community. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, it's it's protecting the religious beliefs and uh, of the ultra-religious community and protecting the health of the public. Right. And how do you do that? Right. What's the most effective way? Well, use a moil who sterilizes his instruments. Wear glo- by the way, wearing gloves. If you are an ultra-religious moil, they don't wear gloves. That's like, I mean, you should only know what that, I mean, I've, I've had guys tell me, you know, they could never wear gloves, right? Understood. Uh, there are lots, you know, so that's, and then the other, the other side of this, the second, the second thing I just want to briefly touch on, Dina de Malchuta Dina, the law of the land is the law. So I, there's a problem if there is a law, and, and an observant individual is obligated to observe the laws. Again, what happens when you have this conflict? That's the problem. And so therefore... You know, number one, as I, 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 I'm sorry to repeat, the public needs to know that it's only a very small group of moils who would do matzitsa pepe with direct oral contact. The rest of them do not. And then if you're, you know, and then from there, um, you know, go find a moil who sterilizes his equipment with an autoclave, who wears gloves, who has disposable things, who does it beautifully and properly, maintaining all of the Jewish laws and the beauty of this wonderful mitzvah, protecting both the health of the baby and the health of... Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what I've been doing, thank God, for many, many, many years. I started well, you, I, should, yeah. you should continue. I, I appreciate it. We have actually run out of time okay. for this piece. Uh, Cantor Phil Sherman, thank you a, for the known as the mole to the stars here in New York City, and I appreciate your time and coming out on Spin Class. Thank you very issue. much for having me. All the best. Thank you. I want to welcome to the conversation Dan Goldberg, who is the health reporter, uh, writes an influential health morning newsletter for Capital New York which is the New York publication of Politico. So covers all things political, uh, even some sports uh, out there. Dan, welcome to Spin Class. Thank you for having me. So, Dan, you have been uh, covering this interesting uh, quite quite uh, extensively, I guess, for since it seems to have popped up back in the political consciousness 
uh, out there as a health reporter. Um, and you've also uh, created some distinctions between the approach of New York City to this uh, to a public health issue. Uh, as opposed to New York State or more specifically Rockland County. But if we can just go back for a second, I know you caught the end of uh, Cantor Phil Sherman as a prominent mole's uh, approach there as far as, uh, you know, interested in more disclosure as opposed to necessarily enforcement. Let's just go back for a second to some of the history here. And why has the Jewish community, or more specifically the, the Orthodox community, uh, the more Haredi Orthodox community, been so vehemently opposed to any government intrusion on uh, Brismila or specifically Mitzitza Bepeh? Well, I certainly don't want to put words in any of uh, their mouths, uh, but well, the they issue write, they, they is put around government there, so intrusion uh, and what they feel could either be a slippery slope to banning the entire practice, uh, and by that I mean circumcision entirely, uh, and because they feel, and this is according to uh, arguments made in court, that the link between uh, the Mitsitsubipa and uh, the herpes virus has been overplayed by the city's health department and that it is not significant enough to warrant a public health intervention. Okay, so so the the let's just talk about the approach for a second of the city. And what is it that the city, and this goes back to the middle term of the Bloomberg administration, what was the city's approach to to what they, I guess, the public health crisis? I mean, are we calling it a crisis here of of, of Matisse Papel? Well, they certainly took it very seriously, and, and I know you remember this uh, as well. Uh, they started by uh, trying to have a education campaign. There was an open letter to the Jewish community um, specifically targeting uh, certain areas in Brooklyn, uh, that detailed some of the, or what the city felt were risks of, uh, direct oral suction. Um, and then the city's health department, uh, after, I would say about a year, if I remember right, uh, of an education campaign felt that that wasn't going well enough, that the, their point was not getting across. And so they began the process to initiate, uh, a more, uh, comprehensive measure, um, something that would be a little more restrictive. Uh, that over that played out over several years before uh, in 2012 the city put in a consent form that required uh, and this was through the city's board of health that required uh, moels to provide uh, parents with a form that essentially said the city's health department does not approve of the practice of metsubepe and uh, that it could be dangerous and that that form was supposed to be signed uh, and acknowledged by the parents and how many cases have, does the city claim that there have been directly related to uh, to the practice of metsubepe? How many cases of HSV one, which is uh, which is herpes? Right. The city says that since 2000 there have been 17 links, uh, or they believe 17 links to metsubepe, uh, and in 2014 they reported four links. So four in the last year. Of those 17, uh, two babies, uh, I believe it's two, uh, died. Okay, and uh, how many have they actually been able to link directly to, to a mall? To a specific well, mall? City, to a specific person? So I'm saying, what, what's uh, the... Yeah, that's a tricky question um, because the city has not been able to do any genetic testing on the moels themselves. Um, the city uses evidence of uh, where the lesions were, when they appeared, uh, how they appeared, to, and the fact that there was uh, Matita Bepet taking place to make the connection. Uh, and they've also pointed to the fact that in one case uh, there was a cluster all of babies who all used the same MOEL uh, to, to provide further evidence of their claim. Uh, but they have not done any genetic testing of the virus to match the infant strain to a moel strain. So if you, by that definition, the city has not been able to conclusively prove that the moel is responsible. So why haven't they done that? Well, it depends who you ask. Uh, The the short answer is because there has been a lack of communication and cooperation between the city's health department and uh, the community at large. 
Uh, and certainly, I don't think it's going too far to say a lack of trust as well. Uh, so they have not been able to uh, garner the support needed to test uh, the Moel. Okay, so have they been able to find out who the Moel is, or or that's been they've been met with? Uh, In some cases, a... yes, the the city has uh, been able to, and uh, I, I believe um, certain Moels have been banned uh, by the city's health department. They that does not necessarily. I mean, uh, the key here is always enforcement, right? With any policy, it's how do you enforce it? And with a, a this with a community that uh, distrusts the city's health department the way uh, this one does. It can be hard to enforce any regulation. Now, what's the mechanism for banning somebody? What, what, what is it that they're banned from doing? They're banned from circumcision? Is there a specific – there's no licensing for circumcision as far as the city's concerned. So how do they ban them from circumcision? Well, again, that's the key, right? It's a very hard policy to enforce. Right. I guess so. So, so in a sense, they promulgated this policy, which really doesn't seem – without – in, a, in I think what most people remember is a pretty adversarial posture towards the community. And if I give some only some of my own personal history, I believe back in 2005, um, when Mayor Bloomberg was running for re-election, there was a there was a meeting with uh, the Haredi Hasidic community about this issue, and it was it was essentially you know the the if you look at some of the news items out there, it was essentially thought that the city was going to be hands-off, and then all of a sudden, uh, pretty soon later, it, the city was back hands-on again. Um, but uh, but if, but if in a sense, they kind of went about this uh, in, in a way that they maybe they knew that they couldn't actually enforce it. I mean, it's just not to be cynical about it, but you know, they, to, to have an approach to a problem which you know you actually can't fix why not fashion a, why not fashion an approach to the problem that you think you might be able in a way you might be able to fix it well I, I, to push back on that a little i don't think the city's health department anticipated as much resistance to the consent form from the Haredi community as they actually received um, i think and again i don't want to put words in their mouth but I, I think if you were to ask them they would have said they would say at the time and and probably still that the consent form is not as intrusive uh, on the religious rights uh, of the Haredi community as the, the community makes it out to be. Um, so I, I don't think they anticipated this backfiring or creating as much of a uh, controversy as it ended up doing. Interesting. So why don't I contrast that for a second? Because I think one thing you, you've brought out into the public uh, in the last couple of weeks through your writing is the approach that's happened in uh, in the Hudson Valley, in Rockland County specifically, which has a very large Hasidic community, uh, many of whom practice Batista Bapet together with, uh, with the Briss. So what has been the approach in Rockland, which seems, at least on paper, uh, to have been more successful in getting the cooperation of the community and the Molim as well as the, uh, uh, as well as, you know, the, the families who have been affected by it? And actually, in full, I just want to say at this point, I did invite somebody from uh, City Hall from the de Blasio administration to join in this uh, discussion. They did not decline directly, but said that given the fact that they're going to be coming out with some a new, uh, some new, I guess, rules or uh, with regard to uh, with regard to Matitsa they didn't want to do uh, come uh, discuss it publicly in advance of that. So, but uh, back to the question, Dan. How, what about Rockland? Sure. Uh, in Rockland County, uh, the the Orthodox community there uh, is working with the county's health department. Uh, they have a good faith agreement uh, to any time a baby presents with symptoms, that baby is tested. Uh, if the tests show that the infant has uh, HSV-1 or herpes, uh, they then test the strain, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but they test the strain and then they test anyone who has come into contact uh, with that infant, uh, including if uh, if the if the baby went under mitzitzibapad, then uh, including the moel. Uh, they are what they are attempting to do is match the specific strain of the virus uh, to the point of contact to the person who infected the baby. Um, now it's worth pointing out, and I, I apologize that this was already said earlier on your show, that most adults have herpes uh, in some form or another somewhere between 70 and 80% of all adults 
are HSV1 positive. They're not always shedding, so to speak, uh, so they're not always contagious. Um, but testing adults uh, for HSV1 is going to yield a lot of positives. So what they're looking for is the specific strain to try and match uh, the, whoever it is in, uh, to the infant. And in Rockland, uh, so far, according to the county's health department, they've had cooperation, and they've tested uh, eight babies, uh, and of those eight, uh, three tested positive for HSV-1, and of those three, uh, Rockland County Health Department was able to determine that two of those infants were not uh, related to the MOEL, and in one case, it was uh, inconclusive. Very, very interesting, in, I guess, and you know that approach because clearly they're making more headway with dealing with the uh with the families and with the community than is new york city um so dan goldberg i want to welcome another dan goldberg uh, on the line from capital new york uh it writes the influential uh health care newsletter uh on a daily basis and you should definitely if you're interested in new york politics check out capital new york uh all kinds of uh all kinds of good stuff with regard to policy and politics. I want to welcome another voice onto uh, this specific topic, and that's uh, Stephen Weiss, who's the news editor of the Jewish Channel, uh, who covered previously at the Forward, covered this uh, specific issue of Mitzitzvah as it relates to uh, the government's approach, both New York State and New York City government. Stephen, welcome back to Spin Class. Hey, how are you, Michael? I'm good. Uh, so, Stephen, just to... From a perspective, I don't know if you can remember back to 2005, 2006, 2007, uh, and it could be you've covered this uh, since then. But, you know, Dan has contrasted two approaches for us, the city approach and, and Rockland County's approach. Uh, and from a lot of people's perspective, Rockland County's approach has been more, uh, has been more engaging in the community and possibly more effective. Uh, also the city's approach was, was kind of, uh, was, was, I don't, it wasn't struck down, but it was sent back for review by an appellate uh, court. So another, another knock on that. But from your perspective, why has government not been able to deal with this, uh, effectively? Well, when you think about it from any kind of enforcement perspective, you've got at least 3,000 of these circumcisions happening in Brooklyn every year. And the question of what you could possibly do in the private homes and shuls in all the places these uh, these circumcisions are taking place to enforce any kind of policy, to propose any kind of uh, oversight for what is, at the end of the day, a, a health risk affecting a very small portion of the population. It, it's just a, a, a big, big conundrum so i guess why and i'll throw this out to both of you why then was this the credible imperative on the pat on the part of the new york city health department to really go after this issue and go after it publicly and make this whole public fight if really you're not going to have all that effect of a policy and at the same time you're talking about a very small you're talking about a very small number if there are three thousand circumcisions going on every year 17 that maybe, maybe have some causal link? Uh, you know, so, we're not talking well, about a huge well, public first, health Well, emergency. first of all, I think in regards to causation and, how, and what the numbers are that are out there, everything that we've seen is kind of the bare minimum possible uh, for inferring causation because a lot of babies aren't brought to the right hospitals. A lot of, uh, a lot of people are not complying with the health department. A lot of people are trying to keep them outside of the system, and it's been extremely difficult for the various health departments to try to ascertain the full scope of this problem because there's been simply very little cooperation from parents and others within the community. Um, but uh, but from, from the perspective of, of why the Bloomberg administration, and before them the Giuliani administration, was, was pretty heavily involved in, in several cases with this, uh, a lot of the word that, that I was told by my sources in these administrations at the time was that, was that for one thing, the, there's a very significant problem where there are families who are not ultra-Orthodox, who are not looking to have Matitza Bapet done at yeah. their circumcisions, who do find that it is done without their request and without their prior consent and without their prior knowledge, and that in at least one or two of those cases, it did result in a very serious infection. 
And so that's what, so that's, I think, the, why deal with this as though it's a major public health issue and make a, make a big blow up about it? I think in part it's an awareness issue, uh, to, to make a lot of families aware that this is happening. And then to the degree that, you know, a baby dies every few years from an entirely preventable situation, I, I, I don't know what a health department does, how it, how it, deals with its priorities in that sense, but you're, you're dealing with a, a baby's death that simply doesn't have to happen. That is an, it's an entirely human-caused death. Right, if, of course, we can right. attribute it directly to that. To that. Um, Dan, Dan Goldberg, well, you, you have you to talk- remember that the, um, the City Health Department has said that uh, the incidence of neonatal herpes is higher, significantly higher, uh, with babies who undergo Matsitsa Bepe. And while that may be challenged by the Haredi community, and it's certainly up for uh, debate, and the methodologies of the studies are up for debate, if you're the city's health department and you believe that the incidence and rates are higher for children who undergo Matsitsa Bepe, it would almost be malpractice not to do something about it. And while you're right that the city is reporting 17 cases, uh, the framing of the question, you know, it's a small percentage of the population. Well, how many babies would be, you know, would it take before it became a, a big problem? And, and, you know, like he said, it's, a baby dies every few years from what is a preventable uh, cause, at least if you're the city's health department. That's what they, you know, their, their scientists, their researchers tell them. How right, and if a baby dies something? every few years from what we know, which is to say it could be more. Right. And also at this Certainly point, uh, the former city health commissioner, Tom Frieden, at the, is, has been head of the CDC for a number of years now, and so and he has taken this national with greater rigor, and uh, and and greater analysis and greater promotion of concern for this issue, and so it's 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 now I mean it's kind of the national health authorities in the United States are are paying close attention to this and are concerned some of it. So that's a great point, and I actually want to for either of you. Is this an issue outside of New York? Is anybody making this an issue outside of New York? And I, I actually feel compelled to say, just go back for a second, any baby dying from anything is tragic. I don't want to sound, sound callous with regard to that. But uh, with regard to the is this an issue outside of New York? Is this an issue in New Jersey? Is it where there is a large Haredi population? Where else, who else is having these issues, um, if anywhere? I think it is. It is necessarily an issue, and it is obviously an issue. It's kind of one of those, it's a mathematical certainty kind of thing. And so it is necessarily an issue in communities with large concentrations of ultra-Orthodox. Uh, you know, in, say, Lakewood would be an obvious example. Uh, outside of New York City, there's upstate uh, a great many locations where it's an issue. You were talking about Rockland County earlier. But... Um, but it is a bit hard to find the kinds of concentrations where you would have the kind of the rate of infection is part of the numbers game, that when you have so many thousands of, of, of circumcisions taking place within a given area and you have Mohels performing in sometimes two and three circumcisions a day, just the odds are against you for, for keeping the babies healthy, for keeping all the babies healthy in a given year. Uh, you, you, pre- you, the odds suggest you pretty much will not keep a, all the babies healthy in a given year. In Brooklyn. Okay, let's, right, let's, and you have to remember that we're talking the, about, uh, in no, this particular case, each, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we're talking about, um, herpes in this case, but there are other things that can be transmitted from the mouth if it's put on an open wound. Uh, they're not reportable, so, uh, you know, we don't know the numbers, but I don't think anyone doubts that, uh, or anyone argues that there are other things that can be spread that way. And, and though you mentioned, you know, you, other communities in the United States, it's also important to remember that this is an issue uh, across the globe. I mean, obviously, there's a large Jewish community in Israel, but uh, in Europe, this has been a, a an issue as well. And uh, I believe it was the summer before last in 2013 where Israel's chief rabbi wrote a letter, uh, and I'm, I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I believe it was to Berlin, um, backing the seats of the there after there were complaints in Germany about the, the ritual. And ultimately, I mean, the question, the question keeps coming down to it, all these situations you were talking earlier about how, well, Rockland, how Rockland County is dealing with it and so forth. There isn't, you know, there, there isn't pretty much any health authority who will tell you that regardless of the prevention measures you take, 
that that are perceived to to work in the pretty much in the ultra orthodox community. Um, you're just not going to find a way to keep this from happening if you keep having these many people doing this many procedures in this space of time. It's just going to keep happening. And, uh, and whether it's this disease or another disease, it, it, it really doesn't make a difference. You know, when I, when I did uh, a big investigation into the state health department in 2006, I spoke to various health authorities, uh, various uh, research scientists in, in infectious disease and so forth, whose published papers were used by the state health department and by ultra-Orthodox communities as justification for a more lax approach involving uh, mouthwash and, uh, and, and washing of the hands and, and certain things. And, and when I spoke to the authors of those papers, they, they, they would not back the interpretations of, by the state health department or by the ultra-Orthodox communities in the, in the least. Right, so you're suggesting there was some junk science used, if you will. In that in that regard. But let's just get the, for a second to the politics of it, because in the end, I got to stay true to the roots of the show. It's a political show. Um, and let's just talk about the I guess what faced uh, Bill de Blasio. Mayor Bill de Blasio comes into New York City as, as you know, as, I mean, as mayor and the posture of the Bloomberg administration we've talked about. He is resolved. In fact, he got up to speak at an endorsement rally where he was uh, endorsed during the primary by one faction of the Sotmer uh, by the Aaron side. And they said right in front of him that he has promised that he is going to rescind the, the Gezerra, the, the terrible edict against, uh, against the Brismila. And uh, his spokesman walked that back the next day. But it was clear to a lot of people in the, in the Orthodox, in the Haredi community that Bill de Blasio was going to, uh, was going to fix this. And actually even during a debate, in the Democratic primary, most of the Democrats in the Democratic field said that they were going to change this. And, you know, it's kind of unusual from people who are otherwise extraordinarily uh, liberal New Yorkers embracing the embracing the practice of Matitsa if you will, if you want to call it that. So if either I'd like either of you to or both of you to comment on, you know, the politics of it and how somebody like Bill de Blasio, who's otherwise a Park Slope liberal, has come around to see the idea that the policy needs to be changed. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very cynical about politicians. I wouldn't, I wouldn't imagine that he's somehow had a conversion to see the light in some way, uh, uh, whereas uh, Bloomberg somehow was a, was a force of darkness. I think each of them is, is dealing with politics with a, make a, with a mix of pragmatism and, and a mix of their policy priorities. And I think for Bill de Blasio, uh, it was pretty clear from very early on in the primary campaign that somehow or another he was getting some serious ultra-Orthodox backing. And he has, obviously, his Brooklyn background um, and, and a relationship with a number of, the, of these leaders to begin with, um, but the Matisse issue, there were murmurs, and as you indicated, one shout, one very clear shout, indicating that he he had made a deal ultimately on the um, on the issue of Matisse Bepe, and you know, and and now that he's he's come into office, I mean, we're we're seeing no serious you know effort at enforcement, and it's not clear, you know, what what deal they'll they'll make, but. I mean, it's it's politics. There's a there's a voting block there, and and that voting block very much did win him the the mayoral election by keeping him out of a a runoff in the primary. So he, he owes a lot to that voting block. He will owe a lot to that voting block, and and so will many New York City politicians. Okay, Dan Goldberg. It's also okay to be cynical. I want to throw that out there. <laughs> well, thank you for that permission, especially when it comes to politicians. Uh, I think the politics are tricky for de Blasio at this point, right? On the one hand, he, he certainly said he would change the policy. Uh, he has never specified that he'd remove the consent form, though I, I don't know how you can change the policy without addressing the consent form. Uh, but there's the other hand of if he's perceived as too lax with the Haredi community, uh, it will look as though he is catering to a group uh, that performs uh, a ritual that many find distasteful, to say the least. Uh, regardless of what the health implications are, it's a very hard, if you are not from the Orthodox Jewish community and didn't grow up with it, it is a very hard policy to defend uh, politically. Um, and however much we can talk about religious freedom, just from a political point of view, 
it's tough to get behind it. Uh, and I think that is one of the reasons it's taken de Blasio over a year to address an issue that he said during the uh, campaign he would tackle on day one. Right, but at the same time, there there's a significant voting block in favor of one approach to Matitsa Bepe, which is to say removing any government in interference with it. There is no voting block of any of any consequence in the other direction. And so it's a kind of a classic ultra-Orthodox voting block situation where they're the only ones really voting on this issue, and they're very adamant about what they want. And they will, in all the, in all, they've gotten what they want to a great degree so far, and they'll continue to get what they want. Um, you know, the the policy that the Bloomberg administration put in, which was decried as draconian and so on and so forth, was very much a, a, a very diminished example of what they have, what they would have liked to do. And, um, and Can you expand on that for a second, Stephen? What would they, what is it that they would have liked to do that they, if this was watered down, far more direct enforcement and far more require. You know, the, I mean, you talk about criminal penalties. You would talk. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of talk in the air, and it was met with such uh, with such uh, an angry response when they met with the ultra orthodox leaders that there simply was no going there. There was no way that they were going to be able to pull. They were expecting the participation of ultra-Orthodox leaders in, in, in pursuing the health of, their, of the children of their community, and they were, they were very much surprised by what they were met with. Um, the ultra-Orthodox leaders in meetings with the mayor's office said, if you do any of, this, uh, you know, any of these more severe approaches that you're talking about, we simply will tell our communities not to bring their babies uh, to city hospitals. Well, then, of course, they decided and, and, not... the health, and, and, and from a health perspective, the health department and the mayor's office said, well, it, I mean, if, if that's a threat, you know, you win, because we're not going to create a policy and then have leaders of thousands of people say, we're not bringing our babies to city hospitals. Now, Dan, any comment on that? Yeah, no, I think that's right, and I think that puts uh, that certainly is important context for the decision that the de Blasio administration is making right now. At the same time, I would not underestimate the influence that the health officials have on the mayor. Uh, if it were so simple, I, it would have been done by now. I think there is still a large contingent within the health department that sees this as a public health issue, uh, regardless of how many infants uh, it impacts. And, you know, this is de Blasio's health department right now. There's still a court case. They are still on record as saying this is a dangerous practice. So it is not so politically simple to walk away from it and say, eh, don't worry about it. We're, we're you know, we're walking it all back. Uh, I think there, it's a very fine line to walk. And uh, the de Blasio administration, at least from what they've indicated so far, uh, is looking back toward the education campaign, uh, which we spoke about earlier, the kind of thing that the, the Bloomberg administration started with. And, you know, we'll see if that is uh, a policy that it threads that line between uh, appeasing the uh, Haredi community and uh, at the same time not looking weak on an issue that your health department says is dangerous. Okay, well, we're going to leave it there. Dan Goldberg from Capital New York, uh, also related to Politico, and we have uh, many from both uh, from both publications on a regular basis, writes an influential health care daily email that you can get every morning. What You want to plug that email for a second, Dan? Sure. Uh, you can find it on CapitalNewYork.com. Okay. And uh, Stephen Weiss, the news editor for the Jewish Channel, you can catch him on TJCTV.com or in various channels uh, out there. I'm not going to list them all. Stephen and Dan, please uh, thank you once again for joining us on Spin Class. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. This is Spin Class. We're sponsored by Beckerman, BeckermanPR.com, and we're going to keep delving into the issue of Matitsa Bepe and politics, or politics and Matitsa Bepe, as uh, the this issue continues to vex, I like that word vex, uh, officials on state, city, even the national level, as we were just told. Uh, and I want to welcome to the program Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt, who is an infectious disease doctor, as well as a senior doctor, a senior administrator at Mercy Medical Center, a member of the Catholic Health System of New York uh, in Rockville Center, Long Island. He's also the assistant or associate rabbi, not sure of the distinction on that, at the Youngers of Woodmere 
possibly the largest uh, Orthodox synagogue in the United States of America. Rabbi Dr. Glatt, thanks for joining us here on Spin Class. Thank you. It's my pleasure to join you. So uh, we've been talking before. We've heard a number of perspectives uh, on the issue of Metzitzvah, and I actually want to reiterate, I did invite somebody from the city to come on. Uh, we did have, we were originally scheduled to have a gentleman by the, by the name of Yerachmiel Simmons, who has been an activist in the court case. Uh, but also let's get a medical perspective, not just a medical perspective, but somebody who also, uh, is clearly well known in the field of, of science, halacha and, and medicine. So just, uh, I know you've been covering or at least uh, it had an interest in the case and you've been cited in, in various ways around Matsitsubapa. And, uh, you know, our, one of our, one of our, uh, uh, one of our guests this evening, talked about the fact that he that really it's a disclosure issue. There are many people out there who unwittingly do Matsitsubapet even though they don't necessarily aren't necessarily looking for it because the mole is doing it without telling them. And perhaps that's that's one category. Then of course there are those that insist on doing Matsitsubapet. That's a second category. And then of course there's the role of government in regulating what is essentially a religious practice. So we have you know kind of all three to deal with what do you see out there as far as this controversy? Is it overblown? Is it something that the New York City really just did not approach well from the beginning and they couldn't work with the, the Haredi community enough to make a policy work and make a policy stick? Well, I don't like to put blame on people. I like to try to solve problems. And I think the most important thing is that uh, people should not be emotional or, or hysterical on either side of this equation. And if I could just take the trouble to walk you through what I think are the major medical and therefore halachic issues, I think there can be a, a, a certain sense of calmness and an understanding that there might be different viewpoints. And when people un- unfortunately don't listen to an alternative viewpoint, you, you end up having uh, unnecessary hatred and unnecessary, um, you know, inappropriate comments and allegations that I, I don't think belong in a halachic or medical dis- discussion. That would so be wonderful. If, if, I can, if I can explain, and I'll, I'll try to be brief. Metzitzah Betah is undoubtedly considered by the vast majority of poskin a requirement. The machlokes is not ma'akev. It doesn't prevent the brismila, uh, the circumcision, from being correct if it's not done. But the, the majority opinion is that it does need to be done. Where the medical and halachic interface is, is how should that mitzvah be performed? Medically, there would be considered zero risk if the mitzvah is not done with direct contact between the mole and the, and the uh, uh, circumcised area. But if it were to be done through a tube or some sort of a, uh, a spug or a uh, pipette with cotton to prevent direct contact. This would be medically zero risk. The question is, is it halachically acceptable? And not surprisingly, there are two very different camps on this. There are poskim, and I won't go into all of the background, and all of the other issues about that. I will just state that clearly there is a division in the halachic camp whether direct contact is required to fulfill mitzitza or indirect mitzitza, i.e. through a pipette, is acceptable. For the poskim that hold that you do not require direct contact, you just require the mitzitza to be done through a pipette, then they certainly would not mandate that mitzitza bepeh be done if there was any direct mitzitza bepeh be done if there was any medical risk. And that's why those poskim would say that one is forbidden to do mitzitza bepeh directly because of the concern that there is an association, albeit not conclusively proven, but there is certainly an association between the acquisition of herpes in a young child and having had metzitzvah done. Not proven, but certainly an association. So if you do not require, from a halachic point of view, that direct metzitzvah be done, then the better part of halachic valor, and certainly scientific valor, would be absolutely do not do direct, but fulfill the requirement of mitzitzah b'teh via indirect mechanisms. That is a 100% halachically, scientifically, ethically defensible position. 
On the other hand, there are great poskim that say that one cannot fulfill the requirement, whether that's a halach lemosh misinai, as a minority say, or whether that is a dirabbanan, uh, a, a, a rabbinical precept, to do metzitzvah directly. One cannot fulfill it according to those poskim by doing indirect suctioning, but it must be direct contact on the uh, circumcised site from the moral law designated. So according to those poskim, you have to then ascertain what is the true scientific risk. And then the post can have to decide, based upon that estimation of the risk, what the halacha is. The current state of science says that there is an association, but not incontrovertible evidence that this is a direct association causing herpes in children. That is open to scientific debate. It's open to some of the uh, statistical analyses that have been done on some of the, uh, of the published material. My personal opinion is that there is a risk. I don't, I don't have the ability to quantify that risk. It is a, a slightly increased risk, in my opinion. The question is, can we do better in proving that risk, and can we do better in preventing that risk? And the answer to both of those are absolutely yes. Number one, any mohel who's doing direct metizumapest should undertake certain infection control practices in terms of rinsing their mouth out before the metzitzah, direct, right before they do direct metzitzah, as well as probably a half an hour beforehand. Certainly, if they have any oral lesions in their mouth, they absolutely should never be doing metzitzah. If a moral has been associated with, it, with the case, he should really question, should I or should I not be doing this without additional testing? And certainly, the rabbinical community, as well as the scientific community, should be working together to figure out how we can better study this and moralin and patients need to be allowed to be tested, should be encouraged to be tested to ascertain the true risk. If that risk turns out to be negligible or zero, that would, that would solve the entire problem. If the risk could be proven to be a significant risk, then the post can need to decide what would be the halachic status of Matitsa Bepet in that situation. Right, so let you me know, just... That's a pose question, and, and those are the two sides of the story, essentially. I'm sorry if I took a lot of time, but... No, no, that's... It's important that people understand what the halachic and medical issues are. No, that's a great summary. But let me let me ask you, and unfortunately, we're, we're probably going to run out of time before we get to everything I wanted, but that is a absolutely fantastic summary, because I think you really framed the issue from a, a Jewish perspective, which is, uh, which is the right perspective to have here. But how, why is it reported out there that there are... And I, I don't know specific. I don't have specific names. That there are molim out there who are involved in, uh, who are molim in cases where the baby contracted HSV one, who refused to be tested. I, I can't understand that. I can't explain that. It would, it would go against everything I understand about halacha and medicine. The, 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 the primary precept we have in the Torah is to preserve life. There's no mitzvah on any individual to be a molim. If somebody is at risk, if somebody had an act of oral lesions, nobody in their right mind would allow that person, no post would allow that person to do Matitsa Batet directly. So why would we not try to investigate that and make things as safe as possible? That certainly is something that we should be doing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm understanding that there is such a project underway, I believe in Rockland County, where there is cooperation between some of the mall and the Department of Health and the Rabbanin. And that's beautiful and that's the way it should be. Hello, Yiddishkeit doesn't frown upon science. We look to science to answer questions. Uh, HaKadosh Baruch told us, we're supposed to go out there and investigate the world and find out. We shouldn't be doing something that is dangerous, but at the same time, until something is classified as being dangerous, we certainly should follow on the solar. And therefore, if a postage does feel at this point in time that Mitzitzah Bepeh is supposed to be done with direct suctioning, that postage has a right to ask that. Now, the individual needs to go ask his rug. Nobody should be ignorant about these situations. A, ch- a person, a parent, Baruch Hashem, has a mazel tov and is undergoing a bris milah, should ask the rub what they should do. They shouldn't, they shouldn't just pick them all and do whatever you want. They should ask the rub. There are postmen that would say, you can't do the seats of the pad directly. There are postmen that would say, you must. They should follow the rub that they follow for all of their things. They should follow in this situation as well. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do. Hishtadlus of this nature. Okay, just last question for you, uh, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt. Uh, from a person running a hospital from a public health perspective, 
how do you how do you go ahead and get people to cooperate with something that they inherently are suspicious of? And I think there's a lot of reasons why people in the Haredi community are suspicious of government intervention in this type of practice. How, how do you how does one go ahead and approach that? So the, the best way is to sit down and have honest conversation, ripping away the uh, the exterior motives, ulterior motives, and 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 uh, uh, rhetoric, and say, listen, this is what we want to accomplish. It should be done bit sinner. It doesn't have to be done in the public eye. When you have public declarations, things unfortunately people draw lines in the stand where they may not have had to otherwise. I think these types of things should be done the chavod. They should be done with appropriate recognition and respect for the freedom of religion. And at the same time, there needs to be appropriate respect and understanding by everybody for what is potentially dangerous. Nobody wants a mila to be done if it's dangerous. There's no post-state that I'm aware of that would say if the risk was of a significant nature that you should do it anyway. Halacha doesn't allow you to do a bris mila if there's a significant risk. Their post can that forbid you to, or otherwise are strongly in support of the of the path directly, who forbid it under certain situations. They're chubas about this. So this is something that should be examined in the, in the, in the collegial collaboration between Rabbanim and scientists. It should be done without rhetoric. It should be done as, uh, as fast as possible so we can determine what the true answers are, so we can determine what the halacha is according to all the posts. Rabbi Dr. Aaron Glatt of the Others of Woodmere, as well as Mercy Medical Center in Rockville Center. Thank you for joining us here, and I think that's a great last word that you left it with, so I'm not going to say anything else other than good night, and thank you for listening to the Nachum Siegel Network. I'll just answer one last thing, please. I, I no longer work at Mercy Medical Center, so I don't want that to be... Oh, uh, I apologize. Okay. No, that's okay. I, I, I just left there, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get your new coordinates next time if we have to discuss uh, this again. That, thank you very much. That's fine. Okay. And, and I hope that, that this helped. Thank you very much. Thank you.